You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Antler Up Podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment. We have a good one for you all this week. We have Michigan native Wade Childs bringing you some aggressive whitetail strategy awesomeness. I heard some awesome hunting stories from a mutual friend of ours, Andrew Blair, and I knew immediately I wanted to get Wade on the show. And this has a lot of great information in it regarding whitetails, specifically hunting a little bit more aggressive. And to start off this episode, we talked about all the different states that Wade got a chance to hunt this past season with between the different terrain, the habitat, and all the challenges that these states offered from his home state of Michigan, Missouri, Illinois, and tagging out in Iowa. So from here, Wade discusses how he uses an aggressive mindset slash strategies to combat pressure on how, what in he's seeing in the woods from other hunters. And we also talk about what sign he likes to prioritize when finding the spot to hunt. Man, he had a great season by killing a buck in Iowa, like I said earlier, Illinois, and filling four doe tags in Michigan. And I loved hearing some of the key tactics that Wade has adopted over the years of bow hunting. And a few things really stood out to me about his aggressive style. And I hope you do uh, as well find these things that, you know, they're a little bit different than just saying buck bedding, okay? And you'll also hear him talk about how much stock he puts into his postseason scouting, which is Always a fun topic to discuss with it being uh, that time of year right now. So thanks again, everybody, for all the, the support. Best of luck out there and antler up. Hey, now, real quick before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to mention a few things, and one of them being a brand new exclusive code for our listeners. And we offer two exclusive codes that I only mention on the podcast. Like, I don't post them anywhere on social media or anything like that. So if you listen to the ads, make sure you listen to those exclusive discount codes. So one of them being was from America's Best Bowstrings, which is Antler Up. That will save you $10 off your order. So when that ad plays after this, make sure you listen to that. Uh, That's where you can get that code. But another Another new code is going to be from our good friend, Shay Butler, Shay Butler Knives. So Shay's been a, like I said, a really good friend of, of mine for over the last three years, and he makes custom everyday carry knives and the ultimate hunting knives as well. Shay's creativity 
His high-quality materials, functional designs that is coupled with his precise leatherwork make products that will last a lifetime. Running all these did the rhino, uh, the original whitetail, the featherlight, uh, all these knives over the last couple of years have kept the sharpness. They're awesome. I just, I don't know, they feel great in your hand. And, and, you know, to be quite honest with you, I've never been a huge knife guy really until I started getting some Shays knives in, in my hands. And man, they're, they're, they are awesome. Great individual, great product. So again, right now you can save 25% off the new reverence that which just dropped. I can't wait to get mine. And then also the new updated whitetail knife, which I am holding right now as I speak. And uh, man, he's got a Kydex sheath, which was, I know some people out there really was hoping that he would do, which he's now doing it. And this knife feels completely different compared to the original whitetail blade, which I absolutely loved. This does have, I don't know, there's a, the weight, the balance of it now, just certain different cutouts to it. Really, really big fan of this knife. So, man, if you with shipping, I think this knife will be to your door around the two hundred and twenty dollars. So, twenty five percent off. It's awesome, and I appreciate that, Shay. So, check out ShayButlerKnives.com. Thanks again, everybody. Hopefully, the weather continues to be a little bit uh, nicer out there, so you can get out scouting, get opportunities to you know spend time with family and do your own thing. So, thanks again, everybody. See you next week. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode here at the Antler Up podcast. And we're joined tonight by Wade Childs. Wade, man, pleasure to have you on. I heard some awesome stuff about you. Excited to, to get into it, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Hopefully, uh, you know, all that stuff might be true. Uh, might be a little <laughs> embellished as well, but yeah, that's all right. Awesome, man. Well, <laughs> in, in my eyes are all true. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, Wade, man, where are you coming from? Let's, let's get down to that. Like where, what's going on, man? Where, where are you from? What's your, what's your story, dude? Well, I grew up in a, a small town in like South central Michigan. Um, little, uh, one stop light blinking red light town. Um, grew up on a, basically a sweet corn strawberry farm grew up outside. Uh, my dad had me shooting a bow in the driveway when I was 17 months old. Um, I didn't have much choice in my life. I was going to be a bow hunter. Um, so lived in the, uh, the Jackson, Michigan area for, you know, 25 years aside from like going to college in Kalamazoo, um, chased whitetails around there. Um, 
my entire childhood and into my early 20s before I started venturing out and doing out-of-state trips. I uh, learned a lot from my dad, then started, uh, uh, you know, branching out, doing more things, uh, chasing more curves with my bow. So, yep. I like it, man. Well, geez, I mean, you, Dimitri and I, we're obviously from Pennsylvania, born and raised here. You know, we always hear the, I guess you would throw stones at me here, but like we, you always hear of like, man, Pennsylvania, highly pressured, but man, Michigan is highly pressured, <laughs> you know, stay, but Dimitri, look at it, look at behind him, man. <laughs> yeah, I got a, a few Michigan bucks back there. Uh, some out of state ones too. Um, that, uh, that one over my shoulder right there, he's uh, my best Michigan buck. He was 159. I shot him right there in Jackson County. Oh. Um, I was a I was quite a bit younger when I shot him, but it was, you know, one of those classic rut hunts chasing a doe. And, uh, I was in a pretty good little funnel with some, with some shooting and he came out and yeah, he got, got, so. Yeah. I like that, man. That's awesome. Well, let's kind of like start it off with just, I guess, kind of describe what kind of terrain and where what like kind of like what you've been doing for as far as hunting goes you know like you said i know you you said going out of state but like even keep it a little bit more i guess started off with locally uh, i mean for us we don't really care if it's private public you know mountains not mountains flatland we just like to kind of hear you know your hunting journey if that makes sense yep so yeah you know everything i learned and, and got my feet wet, cut my teeth, whatever you want to call it. Um, and Southern Michigan was, you know, rolling ag country, uh, timber pockets, um, bottom lands, not, we don't have a lot of like drainages and creeks and, and things of that nature. Like you see in like the, the farther Midwest stuff, like the Missouri, Iowa stuff. Um, we do have, you know, some swamps and bottoms and some wetlands. That's kind of where our deer, um, in Southern Michigan, if you're going to find a good one, that's probably where he's going to be. Um, so I pretty well grew up on private ground, um, used to have, you know, 15 to 2000 acres that I hunted of private ground that's dwindled down dramatically in the last, you know, 10 years of what I have available to hunt anymore. But, um, you know, grew up, grew up hunting that kind of stuff. Um, uh, like I said, it's just a lot of row crop corn and beans is the two, the two big things that are grown in that area, um, get into like some alfalfa type of stuff. And we don't get into any of like the, like the Milo or and, and like the sugar beet stuff. That's all out West and up North from us. Um, so it's primarily, you know, what you expect the, the real crop. Um, I would say, you know, once I started getting out of Michigan, um, first place I went to Southern Ohio, um, down in the Adams Highland County area, the Amish buck area. I'm sure you guys know that deer. Um, that was, you know, getting us some hillier stuff. The, one of the leases we had there was, it was still pretty flat CRP ground. It kind of felt like home, you know, able to, uh, kill a buck. I think three out of four years I hunted that, that lease, um, we ended up losing the lease, you know, the landowner passed away. And, um, but I was brought in, brought into that with a good group of guys, um, and they kind of were their stepping stone to start leaving the state. Um, since then, I've hunted, you know, the, the high plains of western Nebraska. I drew an Iowa tag this last fall. I've hunted Illinois for five years. Uh, I've hunted Kentucky, and that's, that's the one state that I feel I'm probably going to go back to this year because I have yet to kill a Kentucky buck, and that does not sit well with me. Um, and I've, I've killed deer in uh, Missouri as well. 
So, so talk about a little bit about your tactic and strategy, you know, start maybe at your home state of Michigan, since you are hunting, you know, private, are you, you know, are you aggressive on in the early season? Do you kind of, you talked a little bit about shooting that puck in the rut. Is that typically, you know, what you kind of save typical spots for, you know, just kind of give us a quick rundown of, you know, what your strategy leading into a, a season is for, you know, mainly your home, you know, property, whether it is private or public, if you're doing any of that in Michigan um, and maybe, you know, maybe one time you are doing it differently uh, and then you've kind of changed over the years or anything in that nature. Yep. Um, yeah. My primarily all my Michigan stuff is, is going to be private stuff. Um, I've dabbled a little bit on the public stuff. I, I actually live about, a mile from Lake Michigan now, straight west of Grand Rapids. So um, it's pretty populated over here. It's pretty hard to get into anything private. So I, I have messed with a little bit of the public around here. It's, it's like you said, it's hit pretty hard. So um, to attack a season in, in Michigan, you know, it's going to be, yeah, I'm hunting farms I've hunted for 15, 20 years. You know, I, I got them pretty well dialed in. Um, I'm not afraid to be aggressive, like, like I'm, I'm not saving spots for the rut. I'm diving in. I, I, I don't think a deer isn't killable at every day of the season. You know, I'm not afraid to go after one. Um, he's always going to be there. It's not like they get absorbed into the ground. Like you see, I always see a lot of guys, you know, it's not time yet. It's not time yet, but I've got other buddies that, you know, we'll go after it and, and we seem to be, you know, pretty successful. And, um, I used to do, you know, like pre-hung stands and all that stuff. And about 10 years ago, um, got into the mobile game using, using muddy pro sticks, muddy, um, bandage stands. And in the last couple of years, got into the saddle game started, you know, I've got everything tethered now, uh, probably two seasons now, hundred percent saddle. If not, you know, like a weird instance where you're hunting on the ground or something, but yeah, I, I'm, I get after them. I chase them. I don't, like to sit back and wait for them to come to me. That's just, that's just waiting. You know, that's, that's not really the way I like to attack it anymore. So I've, I've started paying more attention to, you know, everything I hunt is based on the wind and I'm taking it to them. So. And, and what makes you be aggressive and not, not afraid to be aggressive? It, you know, you relying on trail cameras or, you know, is there just certain, Mm -hmm. Uh, pieces of the property, you know, that you're able to be more aggressive. What, what is, you know, is it the, the fresh sign that you see, you know, going into that sit? What, what's makes you feel confident that being aggressive is going to be successful? Um, I guess kind of like the, just the mindset I take into it. Um, I mean, I'm literally constantly thinking about deer and then how I can get them killed. So, um, there's always puzzle pieces getting put together in my head. You know, what are they going to do on, on this wind or that wind or what's their food source right now? And we do run a fair amount of cell cams. Um, I run between my brother and I, we probably have six or eight of them in Michigan. We ran 22 of them in Iowa this year. And I think I had 14 of them in Illinois. So I do have some pretty recent Intel on everything that's going on. Um, what deer's on the property, you know, and, and when they're there and why they're there. And I, I can take pretty good mental notes of that. And, uh, you know, if he's doing this on a Northeast wind, you know, how can I use that Northeast wind that he thinks he has the advantage to, 
get him on a quartering wind and slip around him and have him come by me. That's, you know, that's what I'm doing. I like that. And man, I'll tell you what, Wade, when you said about not saving <laughs> spots, right. And you're just saying like, you just go after get in there. Yep. Man, I, I mean, I've been guilty to saying like, ah, oh, man, that's a good spot during this time. And you know what I mean? Even if you know there's intel of, you know, that buck could be traveling or living nearby. It, like I've gone into that stalemate basically of not wanting to get into a particular spot until a certain time period. And it, as you were t- talking like that and, and my mind's going, well, yeah, why why do you do that, Jer? Like, why, why, why do I do that? And I guess it's because it's that old school mentality of what, what we, I'm, you know, kind of Dimitri and I were raised by our fathers and you, it seems like too, wait about that of, you know, we were told one, one way. And like you said, just take it to them. And, and ironically enough, I was talking to my father today and we were talking about a, an area back at home in Northeast Pennsylvania that, you know, I had some, some decent, bucks on it but he and i did not go in there until later on in november and he's like we got to get in there earlier and i was like yeah <laughs> like i was i was driving i was like wait what what'd you say and, and like because i that's what i was thinking and kind of like what you were saying man because if you get in there in, in october 14th i know people have said oh that's done but do we really know that spot's done do you know what i mean like i don't know like I think I think the longer we've been doing this and the longer we there's education out there, it's I don't really think it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I mean those deer have to eat and they have to yeah. drink and they have to get up. They're not gonna lay I mean, they might move in the last thirty minutes of daylight. You know, you might not have that all day, you know, chasing phase or, you know, right. something of that nature that you get in November, but they're gonna do something at some point in the day that makes them killable. And I'm not afraid to go after them. Mm-hmm. what are some of the, your maybe key attributes that you, that you've honed in on? Like obviously being aggressive, doing the whole mobile thing. You know, when it comes to maybe like, like Demetri, I liked what you said earlier about like using certain tactics. Are you like, what are maybe certain sign like buck sign that you're prioritizing with like scrapes or rubs time of year? What, like, do you do anything along those lines, especially for being aggressive? Cause right. You, to me, like being aggressive, and sign goes hand in hand for that. Yeah. I mean, if I'm not, if I'm not doing food source stuff, I'm definitely, uh, definitely probably looking for scrapes. Um, and then keying in on terrain features of, you know, leeward side bedding is probably, you know, it's like I say, I'm always chasing wind stuff. That wind stuff is always related to leeward side bedding or, or, or travel routes to food source. Tactics that, you know, carrying on to some of these out of state trips, just because you've talked about several different states, you know, and the, and the terrain features in all of those are a little bit different and you're going to counter different things. You know, what, what are some things that, you know, maybe you're doing in Michigan that you are taking with you and applying those to the other states, even though the terrain and, you know, the habitat is so different. Um, I would say really what I, what I learned on my primary farm, um, in Michigan is, is just understanding how they use those east side and south side hill faces, um, for your, your getting in early and getting them coming back to bed on those. They're typically brushier. They're typically thicker than, you know, your north side or west side faces. And with that, I'm, I'm taking, 
knowledge that I'm learning in Michigan, applying it to topographic map and Onyx and looking at, you know, uh, satellite views coupled with topography, taking it to like the Iowa public land that I hunted this year. And I had, you know, four different instances this year in Iowa that I had a 140 inch buck under 30 yards. And I was lucky enough to be an arrow in the last one of them. So, so when you look at that and you're looking at like the terrain features and you know, like for us, like Dimitri and I, we key in on like with hunting the the bigger mountains here, we're keying in on points and kind of trying to access to see where, you know, where deer are maybe going to funnel to and all that type of stuff. You know, what are like kind of your bread and butter, especially with the wind access? Because for me, that's always been, I think like a weak side, like a weak, like attribute to my, to my hunting skill set and something that I tried to do better at for this year, which I think I did a, a pretty good job at, but you know, I, I'm still trying to understand, I guess, like the thermals and how that all plays a, a part and like, especially in the big, in the big woods setting, like how much of that do you take into effect to go with your wind and kind of your terrain features? Um, as far as the thermal stuff, you know, it's, it's generally about going up in the mornings and yep. down in the evenings. Yep. Um, I, I pretty much have developed the mindset in the last five or six years that you got to give something up. You know, if, if you think Ooh, I like that. if, if everything in your head makes sense that that deer is doing that, but you're afraid you're going to blow everything out on 90 degrees to your, you know, to your North or whatever, um, on a South, on a South directional wind, you know, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to scare deer. I mean, you're going to scare deer walking in, you're going to scare deer walking out. Obviously you don't want to do that. And you try to make your entrances and exits, exits as clean as possible, but once you accept the fact that you're going to scare some deer and, and you think that you're going to put yourself in a better position rather than watch them walk by at a hundred yards, that's where we, you know, I started seeing more success and getting shots and shooting under and over and finally into deer when I started doing it. So, yeah. Now you, you said about, don't be afraid of, you know, scaring deer. Is there any instance or story that you can kind of, you know, uh, think about that maybe you've done that or you know maybe you didn't kill a deer but you you bumped the deer and then you use that kind of knowledge uh your advantage to kind of set up a, a future hunt that you know maybe you had an encounter with the same deer maybe you you killed the deer you know do you have any kind of stories being aggressive in that way yeah i think really about the first year that i kind of started doing some mobile stuff would have been like 2000. 13 i want to say um there was a deer in michigan we were chasing uh, we called him bubba he was you know that low 160s deer and he disappeared on us showed up december 1st day after gun season came walking in broad daylight late morning like for all intents and purposes <laughs> i shouldn't have been hunting it was the morning after gun season closed in michigan which is just a slaughter fest it was raining it wasn't very cold and he you know here he come walking in and I, I distinctly remember I was sitting in an old ladder stand um, and I was lazy and I didn't want to hang a stand that morning. You know, that, that whole rigmarole, I had a buddy call me up. He's like, Hey, I'll, I'll film for you this morning. If you want to go I'm like, hell yeah, man, let's, you know, let's go. We walk in and you know, we're not seeing shit and all of a sudden look up and it's like, Holy crap, here he's come here. He's, you know, walking straight down this lane and he is, he is walking straight straight into the wind, you know, no quartering whatsoever. And 
And it was like, okay, it's on. I'm going to be chasing this dude for the rest of the rest of the season. So I had exactly one month to get him killed with my bow because <clears throat> season in Michigan ends January 1st. It's our last day. And I ended up seeing him three more times that season. And every time I would try to try to move, try to do something different. I think that that deer, I, I'm a firm believer that he would watch me access. Mm. I, I would, I would, try to slip around these ridges because the, the farm that he was living on is very long and skinny and the access was from the north and it's the only way you could get in there and he would live on the east side of it and the whole east side was a big oak ridge with a uh i want to say it was picked corn in the middle of that year and he would lay on that ridge top and either smell everything coming down the access road or you know, watch just over the top of the ridge. Um, if the wind was, you know, north or south rather than straight west, and I just couldn't get into him. And, and he was not afraid of walking around in the daylight and everything I could do to kill him. And he, he, he beat me and he survived the season. And that deer, I was kind of able to sit back and, you know, think about it for nine months, apply everything that I learned from him. And actually the next season I had him at 12 yards, full draw, couldn't get the, I was dedicated to filming at the time. Couldn't get the camera on him, had him beat. I just had to shoot him. He ended up giving me about eight to 10 seconds right there, a full draw. And, you know, he busted out of there and two days later, a neighbor killed him and he was 187. Oh. So, yep, that one, that one hurt. I've got his actually, I have his sheds upstairs. He's, uh, he, you know, he is like the deer that I, I, still haunts my dreams you know it's been 10 years so <laughs> oh man and i think that's, that's something that not a lot of people talk about is you know deer a lot of mature bucks like to you know watch access and know where people mm -hmm. are going to come in from and you know and, and sometimes it's, it's we we get in this mindset that those mature bucks are just going to head to the to the deepest thickest areas that you know that humans can't get to or some sort of predators not going to find them. And I don't think that's always the case. And not a lot of people are kind of saying what, say what you just said. And, and, you know, and I've seen it before, like, especially during rifle here in PA where it's a slaughter fest too. Right. And you have all these people and, you know, there was a small clear cut 60 yards from some, from the pull off and where the trucks park and we kind of just kind of skirted past it going deep into this public Kate came back through, did a small push through this little uh, piece. And, and there was a, a nice mature buck that jumped out, you know, and you could see the truck from where he was bedded. And I think, you know, we kind of, those are kind of the overlooked spots that you can find some bucks bedded in that are easy to access where you could probably get around or take a, take a different route to kind of get near that, that bedding. Um, and you know, I just think that not a lot of people are thinking in that mindset or talking about that, where you could really use that to your advantage. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually had a, a really similar thing to that happen this year in Iowa. Um, you know, I was, I was hunting there with one of my best friends from Missouri. Um, him and I drew a tag together, you know, we've been looking forward to it for all these years and he had kind of a situation at home where he needed to, he needed to head home and be with his girlfriend. And so I was up there by myself and I'm sleeping in the back of my truck, you know, doing it cheap, doing it down and dirty. Um, I was on, I want to say day five or six and I pushed 
uh, I was probably a mile and a half deep on public and some pretty, pretty good sized piece of timber. And I had saw some deer that morning and, and nothing really all that exciting. And I slipped out. It was, uh, it was Halloween morning. Um, I slipped out. I met, I happened to run into the hunting public guys that morning at the parking spot, you know, talked to them, talking to some other guys, called a buddy from Missouri just to talk. And he's like, you know, you're not blowing past the deer, are you? And I got to thinking and thinking like those words just kept resonating with me as I was sitting, I was sitting behind my truck in the shade cause it was pretty warm that day thinking, man, these deer are in this pit corn at night. I know that they are cause I see them when I pull in here to hunt in the mornings and I got in my head that I just needed to go deeper and I just needed that, you know, that last piece of the puzzle that something needed to spark in me. I ended up walking 150 yards across this cornfield parallel in the parking lot. Yep. I dumped maybe 50 yards into the timber and two hours later I filled my tag. So Man. same, yeah, same situation that deer. And I had seen people that morning come in from the other side and they came as every bit as far as I did, you know, they were at least a mile in to be able to see their headlamps as they were walking the opposite ridge. You know, everybody was, you know, pushing past them, trying to be that Billy badass. And the bucks are just, you know, one up and everybody watching them go and doing their thing by the parking spots. Yep. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. Yep. Well, Dimitri, that one, that happened to you and I that, what, two, three years ago when you saw the chocolate horn antler buck, like just up on the trail. Like we were, I mean, that's not that far from where we parked. I mean, you walked, what, a, only... 100 not even a, probably 100 yards up up the snowmobile and then zach farrenball talked about that on our podcast where a friend of his was watching you know he, same thing like a buck was watching them and then there was a recent podcast too that i listened to another individual was talking about that it, it's it's funny how it's not a mo it's not a more common you know topic that people talk about but man i because even think about it how many individuals love those big loud mufflers on their trucks every morning and they're just yep. you know at three four in the morning they're going down that that wmu you know like the our road and you know those deer hear that it's the same thing like oh, even yeah. it's even the same thing that i have you know on the, on the private mountain like i don't i hate going to where we park but there's really not another spot for us to park i mean we can it's just i don't know it, it's like you said it's it's being almost lazy so something that i've co like want to change as as well for my dad and i because at the same time I'm, it's it is a, a road that we could walk on basically so it's just why don't we just walk on it? we're not going to be ripping through brush you know at least we yep. could be a little bit more quiet and it's not going to be <laughs> driving right up because hell within 80 yards uh, on a camera that i had near where our truck is there was a one of the bigger deers ever and that I've ever seen. So it's like, you know, like you said, like it, he's around somewhere and you just have to go un, unnoticed a little bit. And that's definitely one of the tactics that I want to implement for next year. Yeah. That's some of these deer that live in, you know, 
Michigan and Pennsylvania and, you know, these high pressure States, they, they get big because yep. they know, they, they know the game. They yeah. know what everybody's doing. And I think that they're hunting us or hunting the, avoid. Uh, Sorry, Predator. I can't come yeah. up with the right yeah. words. They're yeah. avoiding us um, yep. just as much as, you know, we're trying to hunt them. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you said the word pressure. And I, like you said earlier, when it comes to hunting Michigan, you're, you're more so on that private side of things, you know, and I, we've talked about it here on the podcast. I, I still think hunting private land still has its challenges, right? Like it's still not, you know, like, Oh, you got private land. I bet you it's, it's so easy to do yep. this. You know what? Some are some things that you've had to kind of adjust and get better at on, on private pieces that you think is, is still a challenge. Yeah, it's, I think, you know, some of the private, especially in, in an area like where I'm at, it's so many small parcels, you know, tied together. And the piece I'm on is, is the second biggest, I think in the section and then it's 155 acres. So it's, it's not terribly big. It's not small, but right. you know, there's, there's, I think that I counted, I, the, I think I counted 22 people hunting it opening morning in just my square one mile. Um, this last year. Um, so I've pretty much just developed the, the tactic of when there's this many people, just don't worry about the best spots, just avoid the people as much as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, the spot that I hunted opening morning, um, of rifle season or shotgun season this last fall, which I think is the first time I've even hunted one in 10 years. It's, it was 150 yards behind one of the houses that kind of borders the property um just because i knew kind of all the pressure is going to push every every deer up you know to this sick little bottom that just has a lot of understory in it so and i did see i think i saw like 42 or 44 deer that morning so yeah yeah we we have we have some numbers but (laughs) quality is just lacking here's a question for you wade how do you find the spot you know like that is the the core area what kind of check boxes are checked when, you know, what boxes are checked when you see X and you're like, this is where I'm going. Yep. Um, I would say, you know, it's all going to be, obviously I'm going to keep preaching wind dependent, but um, it's got to have, you know, the right facing slopes are two of my big things. Um, are the deer going to, come my direction because of food in the evenings or are they going to be coming back in the mornings so i'm trying to get in between that bedding and that food um i'm looking for historical sign and obviously fresh sign um old old rubs easy to spot and then you've got your interior and your community scrapes the interior scrapes i think are probably my favorite thing to hunt um that's what i shot my buck on in iowa that's what my my buddy i was hunting there with he shot his buck on this this ridge line that was full of interior scrapes um that's probably what i would look for as the number one thing um it seems to be a magnet of all these deer are going to go at least you know stick their nose in the branch one time as they're walking by or at least check it in a somewhat downwind fashion um to where you can use that as a you know way to get a shot off um i don't really go into the woods looking for like, man, I need to find a buck bed or I need to find, you know, warm season grasses or an oak tree that's dropping. I, I always have, you know, a fluid 
mindset when I'm walking in, like, let's just go find something that looks good. And when it feels right, climb a tree. You, you talked about the right facing slope. Can you dive into a little bit more of like what that entails and, and what you're looking for, uh, for those slopes? Yep. Um, I'm always looking, like I said earlier, I think, uh, leeward side, you know, the downwind side of a, a, a slope. So if, if I'm looking at a topography map, something that's got either some type of bench or like a toe off of a ridge that a deer can lay just over the top, see everything in front of them, then anything that's coming over top of the ridge, you know, they're going to smell. So the wind has to be right. Um, and that I think those spots change, you know, day in and day out just because the wind is changing with them. And uh, they'll change throughout the year as the uh, understory changes as well. So um, if it's, you know, later in the season, you can throw some cedars in there. I'm, I'm going to, you know, go towards that. Um, early October, you know, looking for oak trees or nearby green bean fields, you know, things of that nature, and then get to that closest bedding from there. Nice. Now, if, you, if you're talking about those, uh, those slopes, now, do you think if a buck's bedded on um, the leeward side and, you know, maybe the wind, it's a finger ridge and the, the wind shifting the opposite direction, do you think that he will actually, you know, move? will you hunt and move to the opposite ridge that, that following evening or the day you're hunting? Um, do you think he kind of like flip-flopping like that? Or do you think, you know, how do you feel like those mature mature bucks are adjusting to the change in wind? Um, I I. I typically seem to have um, more success and more sightings and even, you know, trail camera data of them using these, these features and which direction they're like, they're always traveling. I think maybe 80% of the time, I shouldn't say always, at least the wind is someone into their face, whether it's across their face or dead on, you know, so if that wind changes, you know, the morning to the night, then I'm going to adjust accordingly as well. I think the deer are probably doing that midday as well. So I'm, I'm not afraid to always assume the deer has the wind in its favor. So I'm trying to use that against the deer. Yeah. Well, let's, let's kind of dive into then about your season. You got the Iowa buck and Michigan, man, like wherever, wherever you want to start with kind of recapping this past year, because I'm, I'm fascinated because I want to see what, you know, I have a couple ideas that I, where I want to go then afterwards, but I want to see what other questions, you know, will pop up because of, of the stories, dude. Yep. Um, so the season started, uh, I had a piece in Northern Illinois, um, kind of walked away from it this, this summer, um, randomly had a buddy that I've talked to online for, you know, five or six years about hunting and never met him in person. He just called me up one day. He said, Hey, I've got an opportunity to hunt or to add a guy onto this lease. We had a guy back out. Are you interested in joining it? And I, here I was, you know, not really an idea of where I was going to hunt besides Iowa. Uh, yeah, well, I'll go check it out. You know, he's been sending me pictures of this deer that, that was, I mean, we're talking like mid July. So he's, you know, got a good frame, but he doesn't have much time length. And it's like, he'd send me these progression of this girl's pictures and it's just like jaw dropping. I'm like, dude, you really want me to come hunt this farm with you? And he lives in Phoenix. So it's like, he's not going to be there very often. So I almost felt guilty that I was going to go hunt this farm. That's, you know, five hours, six hours away. So I ended up joining, joining in on the lease with him. Um, 
long story short, another buddy was able to get on it as well. Cause another guy, um, wasn't able to hunt it because of some health issues. Um, so two of us went down there October 1st. Um, my buddy that I hunt pretty much everywhere with him and I travel all over. He shoots a doe in the morning. First time he'd ever been on the lease. We looked at a map and said, let's choose these two spots. They're not very invasive. You know, obviously the PM sits going to be better, um, October 1st because we've still got some green beans. So let's just do something that's on the outskirts near the road. He shoots a doe. We're celebrating, you know, drinking beers midday, meet a, the landowner, um, having a good old time. It's like, you know, time to go out for the evening. We chose, decided to sit. There's like, it's kind of like a series of bays. That's the way that this, these drainages come out in this timber. And we just kind of each picked one and he happened to pick the right one. We had a six or seven year old deer come out, walked right to him. He shot it. Um, great day. I mean, he te- filled both his Illinois tags the first day. So now here I am, nobody to hunt with in <laughs> Illinois the rest of the season until, you know, my buddy Brad from Phoenix shows up late. And then, uh, I've got the Iowa tag, um, ended up going to Iowa the next weekend. I think it was this, it would have been like October 8th that weekend. Okay. Um, I had a work trip. I had to go, I think I actually went to PA that day or that weekend and I had a rental car. I'm like, to hell with it. I'm going to drive this rental car out to Iowa for two days and hunt. And we did. And I, I had a big deer, like mid one sixties, hammer heavy, um, hunting some, uh, like what I thought was going to be the early season bedding. I think I was off on that to be honest with you, but I happened to be close enough to it to where I had this deer and some briars at 30 yards, unable to get a shot, you know, per usual picked one tree away, um, from (laughs) what I should have. And he stood there for five minutes feeding and I was just able to pick out bits and pieces of him through the, through the maple leaves. Um, so didn't kill him that week ended up, I think I went to Illinois one more weekend, saw some deer, um, nothing. It was, I remember it being really, really hot. We were camping out outside on the neighbors, the neighbors mowed lawn. You know, he allowed us to throw a tent up there. Um, great guy, super thankful that we met him and, um, we, we roughed it, camped it, hunted, pretty slow. Um, turned around, went back to, I was driving back to Iowa. Um, and I was going to meet my buddy Kylie in Iowa. And this would have been like October 28th. And I'm like coming around Lake Michigan. I'm kind of nearing the Indiana border. I want to say cell cam goes off. I look at it. It's like, Oh shit. There's, you know, one of the deer that we've been, you know, waiting to show back up to go hunt in Illinois Kylie's in Iowa. He'd already been there for a day. I call him. It's like four o'clock in the morning right. and I call him and I wake him up and he's like, you're not coming to Iowa. Are you? I'm like, Nope. I'm turning her south, going to Illinois. Um, ended up going cause it was, you know, you drove halfway to Illinois, the Illinois farm on your way to Iowa anyway. So went on at Iowa for one sit. And I was like, this is not any fun. I'm here by myself. It's, miserable i don't even want to do this and i hopped in my truck drove back to iowa back north again to iowa after dark that night hunted with kylie for two days and then he had to go home you know stayed in the truck um a couple more nights by myself sleeping in the back seat 
and I'm like, I'm six foot four. And I don't really fit in the backseat of an F-150 all that well. Um, so get to Iowa or get, get to this, this unit. And I think we were in unit five, get to this piece of public land. And, um, like I said, I, I ended up shooting that deer Halloween, Halloween evening, um, rattle them in. I walked in until I found, you know, that first, interior scrape i remember seeing one of those along this ridge line a uh, trail that looked like it was pretty pretty heavily used by does um heading out to that pit cornfield it's halloween right bucks yeah. are going to be starting to check this i decided that was where i was going to sit the wind made sense everything made sense when i got in there found a tree that offered some pretty good shooting i didn't want to have a october 8th situation again i had i had just had another one of those situations I want to say two days before where I rattle another buck. He was probably mid one fifties into 35 yards, picked the wrong tree in the dark. Didn't get a shot at him either. Um, so, uh, Halloween evening, I, I, I picked a tree that I thought was going to be the one climbed up it. And then right as the sun went over the ridge, I looked down and, you know, he was walking up this ridge and he gave me about a 32, 33 yard shot. Um, hit him, hit him back. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm the best bow shot in the world. I am horrible. Um, <laughs> but I continue to press on, I shoot a lot and I'm, I'm, I've been more confident and successful the last several years than I was, you know, six, eight years ago. But, um, we let him lay overnight. A good buddy, Tyler Cooper from Missouri drove up the next morning, walked in and he was 125 yards dead right there. So, so that was, uh, that was Iowa. He was 143 inch. We figured four year old heavy base, short time, 10 point, 24 inch main beams and 10 inches of brow time total and good mass, just short times. Yeah. Um, so drove from there to Missouri to Kylie, Kylie's hometown hunted with uh, my other best friend in Missouri, Cody Howard for two days. Just like, you know, I've got 10 days off of work. I'm just gonna, I just, killed a great buck. I would dream come true, you know, going to enjoy this, going to hunt with my buddy that I don't get to see that often. Um, him and I had three encounters and three sits in a row with 150 to 170 inch deer. We didn't get arrows into. It's like, okay, I need to go have a bow in my hand. I'm leaving Missouri, <laughs> drove to Illinois, um, hunted a couple of days there, ended up getting sick while I was there, caught my vacation short, um, drove home, went back down the next weekend. And now it's fast forward. It's November 11th. I'm, um, on the Illinois lease sitting there and I remember being really cold that day. It was like the first day I broke out my real, real heavy, warm gear. And I was Snapchatting a video, um, to my brother about how nasty the wind was. Cause he was sending me pictures of videos of deer in Michigan. It, it being, you know, bluebird sky, sunny, awesome, everything that you want it to be. And I'm just miserable by myself, <laughs> freezing. And I, I send a Snapchat. I put my phone in my pocket. I look to my left, and there's one of the target deer at 30, 30 yards, right? So it was uh, another situation. Pick a, pick a tree in the dark. Um, he ended up giving me like a 22, 23-yard shot. I hit a limb and bounced it right over his back. Oh. He, he, he ran off and 
I climbed straight down out of the tree, cut the tree down that I hit because I was mad at it. I didn't want to sit there and look at it any longer. I <laughs> back up the tree, got back into the, and clipped back in on my saddle. And 15 minutes later, here comes this deer that we knew to be six years old from all of Brad's trail cam pictures. And he's got this doe, he's tending her hard. And I ended up watching him for three and a half hours, um, 60 yards and in. He uh, almost gave me two or three different shots at about 30 yards. Finally, this this little buck that was trying to get in on this doe that he had, he ended up coming between the buck and I. The big, the big old mature buck got up, chased him off, turned broadside at 20 yards, and, yeah, I slipped one through him. I hit him, you know, onside long and out, like, back of the liver. So he was, he was quartered, but... You know, the arrow set up, I'm shooting, not a, not yeah, afraid of that shot. And uh, I watched him walk off, lay down. I, I shot him right at, it was like 12.01, so I shot him right at noon. And uh, watched him walk off, lay down. I slipped out of there, let him lay all night, went back in the next morning. There he was. So that was, that was pretty well my season. I ended up shooting uh, three or four does in Michigan after that, and that was, yeah, that was about it. Dang, man, you're in it <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like constant. That's awesome. I mean, that's what you I mean, they're the opportunities, the chances that you want to have, right? Like they're the things that we right now in February, we're like, man, I cannot wait for the season to roll around to to have those yep. encounters. And I, I mean, I think for these out of state trips, obviously the Iowa, you have to draw that tag, Illinois, you know, you're it's it you don't have to draw that one, but then going to Missouri and, you know, bounce around a little bit, you know, obviously you have to do some e-scouting. Do you go, mm-hmm. do you nerd out on that type of stuff at all? Yeah. I spend a lot of times looking, looking at maps and, and satellite imagery and, and just trying to, you know, drop pins. My, my Onyx is pretty like you zoom out. It's just a red blob, yeah. you know, what looks good. Um, I I'll take those pins and those ideas and start applying them once, you know, the different weeks of the season roll around. Um, but yeah, I bet 80% of my scouting is e-scouting living in Michigan and, you know, working, working full-time job. I'm always, you know, my vacation is the fall. I don't take the time in, you know, the spring and the summer that I should like, you know, you talk to guys like Andy May, he's, he's killing his deer in April or March, you know, that's how, that's how he kills the majority of his bucks is all that scouting. And I don't do that. I'll I'll be the first to admit it. I I wish I did. I wish I had the time, but I don't have the time for it. So I have to do what I can. And that's look at maps and apply the things that I've learned in the woods to what I think that those maps are telling me. And I'll walk in there. If I like it, I'll set up. If I don't like it, I'll keep pushing to the next one. So that was going to be my next question is like, how much stock do you put into this time frame? right? Like how much, you know, yeah. do you get out there this postseason, see what, see what sign was laid down the most recent or this past season, In the years past I've coached baseball. So I didn't have that opportunity to really get out that much. And now I don't have that opportunity. I'm trying to do more of that. Right. And, and I know that I know now helps you but it doesn't you know it's it's no guarantee right like i don't know how many people one we've had on the podcast or uh you listen to on podcasts or videos i mean it's still deer hunting right like it's still a, a yep. you know a 
real animal. It does, like you could put 500 miles on that doesn't mean you're going to kill a deer. So I think, but the other side of that is for me personally, it's like, yeah, that's great. Finding new sign, maybe new opportunities. I want to gain better, enhance my woodsmanship, right? That's what I want to try to do because for me in the years past, it's like, okay, e-scouting a little bit of in the summer. And then, you know, like you said, kind of, you don't want to be hoping for the best. Right. And that's where I kind of, I guess, fell into that trap. So I'm trying not to fall into that. So my woodsmanship, I want to enhance. So that was like a question for you, Wade, was how much stock do you put in? And obviously not that much. No, I, I, I would be lucky to make like, especially the, the Illinois lease. I think I, I made it down one time before it was, I was there with a bow in my hand. Um, and then Iowa, Kylie and I made a trip out there one time in July and hung a bunch of cell cameras and what we thought was going to be good in the fall. And it ended up, you know, we're looking at features of the land more so than current deer sign. Obviously you're not looking at deer sign in July, right. you know, what are they, whatever they're doing in July isn't going to mimic what they're doing when we're there with bows. So <clears throat> I don't put very much stock into spring and summer other than knowing the bucks that are in the area. That's really all I care about. How much time you put in just because, you know, there's out of state trips, you know, you, you, like you said, you limited time days off, you know, so you're not going to spend a lot of that time, you know, scouting, you know, you're going to take them in the fall when you can actually hunt, you know, and I had a similar situation where, you know, I went out to Ohio this fall and I had one day of, of scouting out in Ohio and, and setting some trail cameras, you know, and, and, and it's like you said, it's kind of hard to gain any, you know, knowledge. We went out in August, which is similar to July where there's, you know, you're looking at terrain and uh, different features versus, you know, rubs and scrapes and, you know, all that kind of sign that's going to tell you where those bucks are, are hanging out. So, you know, it's very hard to kind of piece those puzzles together, especially on out of state trips when you have limited time and, and resources. But, you know, and I think it, just goes to show, you know, the, the, the current situation of when you're out there is going to play more important role than that, you know, that scouting and that camera inventory. Right. Yeah. I'm a more definitely a big believer in MRI, you know, most recent Intel, what are you finding when you're there more so than, you know, what was there in last year or the year before? I, I think that, you know, your deer are going to do historically similar things, but you know, the buck you're chasing might do something just, just one off. So let's go, you know, with most recent Intel. Now, could you share maybe a story or, or an opportunity where on either out of state hunt or in state that you, know, you kind of, okay, the wind's doing what I thought it was supposed to do, or maybe it it's doing the other thing where you really need to pivot and do something totally different where maybe you were able to capitalize on seeing a deer or killing a deer, anything along those lines, because they're, they're the, the good learning moments that in the moment that I don't think we realize until obviously something happens. Right. So, you know, what, what has maybe, it doesn't even have to be from this past year. It could be from previous years, anything along those lines way that kind of sticks out. Because again, I think those are really good learning opportunities and learning moments. Yeah. Trying to think of a good one. Um, I would say, uh, 2018, I was hunting, um, my first time down in Missouri, I was hunting some public ground down there. Um, I had just killed a buck in Illinois 
I went down to my buddy Cody's house, stayed with him, um, and going to go hunt some public. And I remember watching or looking at maps, you know, again, and finding this area, this, this piece of public we were hunting was pretty damn flat as far as where you want it to be, like with the timber and the, the river. And there's like a, a big marshy area that was involved in this. And it was all just one big flat. And I remember sliding in there um, the first afternoon that I hunted it. And it was, the wind was, was not what I thought it was going to be doing in that, in that spot. And I was really like, this deer has to be in this bend of this river. He has to be, there's one terrain feature and it was like a dried up washed out Creek bed that came down and made like a 90 degree turn. And that, that was really all that there was in this timber. And, and there was a fair amount of sign, you know, walking in into it. Um, so I knew everything between this dry Creek bed and the actual river, which was quite high. Like you or I aren't going to cross it. Um, I remember slipping in there and, and it was, it was wrong. It was bad. I was going to just ruin the spot. And it was, I knew it was a spot that I wanted to hunt. Um, found a tree, pick, pick, pick the tree out, climbed up it. I think I sat there for like 20 minutes I'm like, this is, this isn't good. These deer aren't going to be doing what I think they're going to be doing. Um, the wind, what I expected to be doing was, was walking either north to south or south to north. And it was, and the wind was blowing pretty well straight west, which would have, I don't think, I don't think a buck would have been doing anything that I wanted to do on that wind. <laughs> and I slipped out of there, went back to the truck and left and came back in the morning and I actually shot the farthest buck on the bottom over there that next morning. Um, and he was doing that dry Creek bed walk, ended up missing him. He ran to the brush. I got down, checked my arrow, climbed back up. He must've heard me, thought I was a deer, came back to investigate and took one in the side. And, um, I think if I would have stayed that night and, and tried to hunt that incorrect wind, I probably wouldn't have killed him. So, wow. so, you know, what are, what are some things that you're doing now to kind of prep for your upcoming season here in 2023? You know, some people are shed hunting, some people are shooting and tuning their bows, you know, what, what is your February, March looking like to prepare for that 2023 season? Um, really all I've got is, is I'm, I'm kind of in this weird limbo funk right now of like, I don't know what state I'm going to end up in this fall. Um, we had plans to hunt Kansas talking to some buddies and some other people that had been out there. And it's, it seems like Kansas has just really turned into a circus the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to just go hunt, hunt alongside of a bunch of Michiganders, uh, you know, 900 miles away. Um, I, I've got some thoughts about hunting Kentucky. I've got, you know, my, my, best hunting buddy that I travel everywhere with. He actually lives in Kentucky. Um, he's got some awesome public ground around his house and private ground uh, that I can hunt. I, I think right now, my biggest thing is I don't even know where the hell I'm going to be this fall. Aside from Western Illinois, I don't know where I'll be. So it's, it's going to be figuring out, you know, what tag I'm going to have in my pocket come the fall. And once I get that determination and work schedules, everything lines up it's time to find those pins to start chasing. If I can make it out there in July to at least get eyes on the ground to know what I can rule out, um, come the fall. 
And yeah, that's, that's really all I have on my plate right now. That and shooting my bow. I, I shoot as often as I can in this dreadful Michigan weather <laughs> this time of year, we get, you know, pounded by lake effect snow and we don't see the sun for 30 days. So it's hard to be outside, but I shoot as much as I can just to, just to try to keep target panic down and start e-scouting. That's, that's really the two things on my plate, you know, until probably July, August. I like it. That's good. That's good, Wade. What about, you know, you were kind of the key thing and one aspect that it, I love that the theme of it was earlier when you were talking about some of your strategies and some of your key characteristics of being aggressive. Right. And I think if you would have asked us three years ago, uh, what, what, what does being aggressive mean, you know, mean to you? And I would have been like, Oh, getting as close to that betting as, as possible. Right. And um, putting yourself in a situation where I guess we have a, a, a thought or an, a notion that we think a deer is there. We're going to just go in and at them, right? You know, what, where can you or what can you maybe explain to a listener or someone that's changing tactics that wants to be a little bit more aggressive, like maybe some learning curves or tips, tricks, tactics, things that, you know, you wish you would have known obviously doing is, is the best learning experience, but you know, what are maybe some certain things that like you really key in on to hopefully not make a mistake at? Um, I guess the biggest thing that I've learned, I hate, I hate to admit this. I've got a, a good buddy in Missouri and he's a Turkey hunter and he's one of the guys that chases States all over the place. And he's trying to kill a Turkey in every state and watching him and talking aren't those to him guys, aren't those guys really weird. They're so odd. Like we, like you we have no, you have no idea how much we make fun of this guy for being a turkey hunter. But I love him to death. But yeah, I know that's we're the same way. There's a uh, Andrew Mills honey hole game calls here locally. Dude's on the same mission as well. And I, I guess the same could be said for us freaks that want to go kill a whitetail in every state, right? Like we go, yeah. we go do all this stuff. And I mean. Don't get me wrong. Like I like going out turkey hunt when I have the opportunity, but it does not get my rocks off by any means. Yeah, you know? I'll go kill one and then I'll go do something cool because yeah. that's like my mantra of turkey hunting. <laughs> but no, he, he just talking with him and we've got this this chat of a bunch of us. There's like twelve of us that talk on there, and you know just rip each other to shreds every day, and actually get into some hunting content as well on the side, but you know, just being that ninja in the woods, you know, and, and when you're pushing, you know, you have to be observant. If, if you're not going to pick those puzzle pieces up as you're going into the woods to be aggressive I like that. and you just walk, you walk past them. Well, you know, you're, you might be blowing the whole thing up before you even get set up. So I would say if you're going to be aggressive, it's to slow down, which, you know, doesn't sound like the advice that you would give, but yeah, slowing down, so you can speed up is, mm -hmm. is the number one thing. What is it? Smooth is fast and there's slow is smooth and smooth is fast or whatever. Yep. It's yep. Yeah, something like that. But yep. that's, that's what I would say. That'd be the number one thing I would, I would recommend. I like it. What about your setup? You're saying, uh, you know, you've been saddle hunting the last two years and you're doing a little bit more mobile with the hang on and stuff. Did it just take you that long? Cause you didn't want to want Blair to be right. Or what was that about? So <laughs> I was at, I was at the ATA show and probably, uh, I think that they had just released the phantom. So it would have been like what? 2020, yeah, I want to say 2019, so. somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And Blair 
has me come over to the tethered booth. He's like, dude, you just got to try it. I'm like, I don't want some stupid rope in front of me being in my way. Like I already struggle enough shooting a bow. Like when I say I'm bad at shooting my bow, I'm bad at shooting my bow. <laughs> but I, I got in this thing at the ATA show and I just looked at him. I was like, God damn it, dude, you're right. And I don't <laughs> like to admit that about Andrew Blair, but I did. And, uh, long story short. Yeah. I've, I've got a, a phantom elite. I've got four one sticks and, that's what I go in the woods with. And that's, I literally haven't sat in a tree stand in two full seasons. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's, that's good. That that's some, some good stuff. I dude, it's amazing how someone like yourself that hunted out of a tree stand, all that stuff. And we, you switch to that saddle and when you find your comfort, right. And you find your comfort as far as actual comfort sitting in it, as well as your comfort moving around the tree, you know, shooting out of it, all that stuff. It's amazing how you, that's kind of it, right? Like I yeah. know that you'll hear some people like, well, certain situations. And I'm like, what other situation would you not use it? Right. <laughs> like that's like, that's yeah. just, you know, I'm not trying to be an asshole, but it's, it's the contradictory where it's like, what, where would you not use it? You could use it anywhere. Yeah. Especially, I mean, like the biggest thing, even when I did get into it was a uh, weak side shooting, you know, how, how do you handle the weak side shooting? I've shot, I've shot probably 12 deer out of the saddle. And I think I've shot one strong side with my bow. Yeah. At, at, you know, it's like, you just figure it out. You yeah. know, you just you either use your platform like a tree stand. And I do have a, a phantom or a predator XL. So I do have the bigger one yep. and I do wear a size 13 boot. So it's not like I'm a small human being, yep. but um, I'm able to use it like a tree stand. If I need to, I use it like a saddle if I you know need to. And I, you just make it work. It's not, it's, it's not hard. Yep. You spend an hour in it. It's figured out. Yep. I agree. I like it. What about uh, filming? You were saying earlier, having a friend come film you. Do you do you do any more of that type of stuff, or you just whatever happens in the woods? It, it's it, that's what's going down. Yeah, no, we we kind of got out of that whole filming thing. Um, I did a couple of uh, like trips for Trijicon. Got to go over to New Zealand a couple times. Red stag. Um, yeah, I shot yeah. a red stag while I was oh, there. Dude, um, that's I was, crazy. I was. Uh, filming these stags walk across this pasture and um dan Callen, the senior vice president of the wildlife gallery i was there with him he comes over taps me on the shoulder and he's like hey let me see your camera i'm like dan what do you want me to film for you and he brought me here to do do this job he's like no i'm gonna film you shoot that stag i'm like holy shit let's do that <laughs> so so yeah i was fortunate enough to to shoot shoot a stag while i was there um and then went back uh the following year um just a great great family a great place to go um pretty incredible did a a fair amount of filming for nugent you know the motor city madman that kind of put a sour taste in my mouth and after that i kind of just i said that's it for me so (laughs) i just go in the timber now by myself or with my buddies so that's cool is is it true or false that you you killed a turkey using a grunt call (laughs) i killed a turkey using a grunt call on facebook live (laughs) yeah i did do that yeah, I was with my buddy Andy Birch. It's still on my Facebook. Um, yeah, we were just being as dumb as dumb could be, checking the wind, you know, just being stupid. And all of a sudden, these turkeys hammer at like 40 yards behind us. And it's like we went from, you know, being idiots to being serious idiots and I ended up shooting one. Yeah, 
That was pretty cool. That was funny. Probably my favorite turkey hunt. You don't need a friggin' turkey call. You don't need that $90 whatever meat eater slate call. You just need to go after and use some some grunts. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, Wade, that, dude, that's awesome, dude. I Man, this was, this was fun. Dimitri, anything else before? I don't think so. Awesome, man. Wade, dude, I, I appreciate it. I, I, I gained a lot because, again, it, it's very similar – for what you get what you're going through dealing with i mean i just love talking to people that that just are so passionate about hunting and, and you could see it man and i thoroughly enjoyed your your stories i've i got stuff i've wrote a good amount of stuff down it's man i pre- I appreciate it dude and you know where could people find you you know after listening to the podcast maybe you see all the nice big bucks that uh that we see hanging behind behind you maybe on on social media and whatnot yeah um Probably my Instagram is probably where I post uh, the majority of my stuff. Um, I pretty well only use that for hunting things. I don't really put much, you know, life or work things on there very often. Um, so just Wade Childs on Instagram is, would probably be the place to find me. Awesome, dude. I appreciate it. One last question. Now that you have that Iowa buck, are you putting in putting in points again for another couple oh. of years? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. – I, my buddy and I, um, we deleted all the, uh, we, you know, we brought our cell camps together and put them all under my account. We had like a big long talk two or three days ago, like, okay, we need to delete these cameras off my account. So we stopped paying for them. It's time to put a pin in it until, you know, 2028, we can go do this again. And it was, it was a little tough pill to swallow, you know, looking forward to it for so long, but yeah, we're going back to Iowa for awesome. sure. I like that, dude. Well, I appreciate it, Wade. Everybody, go check out Wade. Great dude. He's a killer, man. Check him out. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week. Antler up.